This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Real EFL podcast, not the League 1 or League 2 podcast, because today we have a very special guest on the show. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined today by a head coach in League 1. In fact, this man was even nominated for League 1 Manager of the Month Award in August after guiding his side through a valiant run of form. If you haven't guessed it by now, after my pathetic little pun, we have Port Vale boss Andy Crosby with us today. Andy, how are you? Good evening, mate. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's the night before Halloween, of course, and I it, some of the stuff happening outside my window is unbelievable. So, just a quick disclaimer to the viewers or to the listeners, sorry, if you're if you hear some bangs in the background, I'm really sorry. There's absolutely nothing I can do about. It. Yeah, I just I, it's it's awful. It's like a it's like a, a strobe light show outside my window yeah, here. But anyway, I'm in, a, I'm in a hotel room as well, so it's a little bit quiet around here. <laughs> I envy you. I I really do. Um, how are your preparations going for this week then? Uh, and the head of the, the Burton Albion game, of course, firstly in, in the Cup. Well, yeah, we've got Burton Albion on, on Saturday, obviously the first round of the FA Cup, but we've got Mansfield Town tomorrow night, um, obviously the fourth round of the Carabao Cup. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the players came back in this morning after um, a, a, a bad defeat on, on Saturday against Cheltenham. So, yeah, we've, we've started our preparations for Mansfield. Um, we had a, a really good session this morning. Uh, and we'll go there tomorrow night in a strange situation in terms of being through to the last 16 of the competition, but playing a, a fellow EFL team. Um, I think there's, mm. there's four EFL teams left in the last 16. Uh, and it gives, obviously, both both teams an opportunity then to get, get through to the last eight, which will be a, an incredible achievement. Um, Port Vale, as, as a football club, has never been in the last eight of this competition. So it's a chance for us to, to make some history as a group um, we go into the game on a really difficult run of results uh, over the last last month or so in in League One fixtures. Um, but yeah, we, we go there really well prepared, re- really looking forward to the game against a, a Mansfield team who are obviously full of confidence at this moment. I'm unbeaten in League Two with a, with a really experienced manager. But yeah, it, it's a great a game. We're really looking forward to. And the fans will obviously remember the last time you 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 would have played, or the the most infamous, uh, most recent fixture you played against Mansfield Town was that playoff final against Nigel yeah. Clough's side again. So you'll be quite familiar with the 
some of the opposition, but but certainly the manager. I just wanted to ask though about the. I know maybe it's a bit of a cliche, but does the cups offer a little bit of a break from the from the league in terms of you know as you said you've been on kind of a poor run of form lately and then you get the cup games and maybe mentally is it a bit of a a breather for for I the players? Where it does, Adam, is is football's got a, a great way of giving you another opportunity, hasn't it? And the the games for us, uh, as we just said off air, I think we've played for nine out of the last 10 midweeks as well. Um, so mm-hmm. after a, a poor performance on Saturday against Cheltenham, uh, we, we then go into a, another game three days later. But but it's a, it's an incredible game for us. So the, the last time Port Vale were, were in the fourth round was, I think, um, over 16, 17 years ago. Um, and we know that the reward is massive. We've been saying since round two that that the potential of getting one of the big boys in the cup, either home or away. But now, now we say we find ourselves in in the last sixteen uh, playing against uh, Mansfield away from home. And as you say, we've, we've got recent history with them. What well, a great um, day Wembley was for us uh, over a couple of years ago. But yeah, we, we know um, that it's going to be a real difficult game. We probably go there as underdogs in reality because of our current form and, and Mansfield's current form. Um, but it's important that, as I said to the players today, that we remember that, that we're a League One football team, that we've got League One players, and we, we have to go there uh, and perform to the best of our abilities. I watched that game back last night in preparation for this podcast, and I was, it was unbelievable because actually in the first 10 minutes, Mansfield had that really, really good opportunity. I, I can't yeah. remember if it who it was, but then after that, some of the, the counter-attacks, the transitions were unbelievable. I mean, you scored those two two quick goals, but yeah, it was really. really I, I love the game. It was a great, great, great game, um, and I love the celebration from you, Andy. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, it, um, it was a contrast in styles, one in terms of what Mansfield tried to yeah. do with their four diamond two, and obviously it was playing slightly different. But as you say, that that Mansfield had two great opportunities in the first half, um, mm-hmm. and probably uh, what one from I think. Um, Murphy missed an opportunity, which it was, nine yeah. times out of ten he, he puts that away, and then I think our goalkeeper spilled a wide free kick, and, and we cleared one off the line. And th- they're the moments within a game of football you, you're never going to dominate a, a full game mm. uh, at our level. It's impossible. No, even even the, the the best teams in the world they don't dominate the whole game, and it comes down to moments w- within that 90, 95 minutes. And and we, as you say, we, we scored two two goals quite quickly. Um, on transitions and, and good balls into the box, and then the game probably then turned in its biggest moment when when obviously they got a player sent off in the first half, mm-hmm. um, and, and we go in two nil. Then then in a really comfortable position, um, it's if we could have scored the third goal a little bit early, it would have set a lever on down. But say so we, I think we had a couple of goals disallowed as well, and they, they were always always in the game until you get that final goal. But yeah, it, it was it was a great day for the football club, uh, and it's one one we look back on with real fond memories. But we've now got a different group now. Uh, I know the club's in a, in a different position. Uh, we've been in League One now, say for for last season, uh, and we managed to stabilise that, uh, and we started off this season really well. We're going through a difficult period uh, as we speak, but said so that this game, the reward for whichever team gets through is to be in the last eight, and that will be an incredible um, achievement for whichever team it is. How has the style transitioned then since that game, for instance? And obviously, Daryl Clark was in charge at that time as the manager, but since last at the end of last season when he was when he when he left the club, how has the style transitioned? And it has it been more of a an approach to be better. 
or to be more dominant with the ball in League One, kind of solidify a little bit, or what has been the kind of what has been the yeah. tactical style, the shift from League Two to well, I th- I think two it, seasons in League One? Yeah, it's because I think we learned so many things last season, Adam, in terms of being that newly promoted team, and mm-hmm. we, we got promoted, I think, on the last day of May. So in terms of recruitment and the, and the change, the change we could make, you've obviously got a, a group of players who are under contract who, who've done well in League Two, and could they then go and prove themselves in League One? Uh, and we we had a, a really good first five months in, in League One. We we were uh, up and around the edge of the playoffs going into uh, into January and coming out of that. But you, you look back at the season as a whole, and, and we learned a hell of a lot of lessons. I think that the the players individually and collectively are much more athletic. That the, there's some much bigger players, but I think technically the teams that who who are successful who are successful and who maintain that success in the level above play a more possession style um, of football. And I think when teams have been promoted before, if they, they, they play a game which is more direct, they have success and they get out of League One, but they predominantly come straight back down again. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it was a, a decision made mostly by the football club and, and then by to, to appoint me then as manager. Um, I've obviously been in the game a long time as an assistant and coaching, and I've coached in, in every every league. Um, I've coached in international football. And yes, we, we are definitely trying to become more of a possession-based team. And it's been almost difficult to look at because we got to such a good start. But in terms of our style, we're obviously two months, uh, six, six weeks ago, whatever it was, we looked at where we're at and where we need to get better at. And I think our performances have evolved, but our results haven't stacked that up, so to speak. We, we've we, we've not scored enough enough goals in the, in the last probably eight ten games, or we've hardly mm-hmm. scored at all. I've got to be honest. Uh, but we're getting and we we're going from one box to the other box in a really controlled way, and we're breaking lines and we're getting to the final third. But ultimately, to win games of football, you have to score and you have to be really effective in the in the opponent's 18-yard box. Uh, and unfortunately, we, we haven't found solutions to that yet. Um, but it's something that we're obviously aware of and, we, and we're working on um, every single day to, to become a team who are not only good in possession, but also have an end product as well. How hard is it as a, as a head coach and not to rip up the blueprint, so to, so to speak? Because... So many times, you know, I'm sure coaches are tempted to, but sometimes you do see it with teams where they're playing a certain style and then they, they, you know, things go wrong and they change, they try and change everything. They try change it. They play maybe go on the back foot a little bit more, but I feel like there's kind of like a ceiling on, on how long you can do that because ultimately you still have a style that you train for and that you want to, to see your team play. And then a couple of results go bad. Is it, is it difficult to, I suppose to not be tempted to rip up or to, to, to not rip up the blueprint and keep the faith and when you're watching the team back go we're going to yeah. stick with this I believe in this I think that's the, the what you just said right then there is that what you believe in I have to stick to it and it is what I believe in um, and, and my principles uh, irrespective of formation are trying to about trying to dominate the ball and that won't change and mm. I think it's 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 easy when you go on a bad run to think Oh, we'll we'll start all over again. But no, we're, we're going to stick to this way. I believe, and the football club believe that it will have fruition further down the line, and we'll ride out this this tricky period we're going through. 
And we have to remember that we've recruited this group of players to play in this way. And six weeks ago, we, we were evolving. We were we were making steps, small steps. And unfortunately, we've had to take a few steps backwards over this, this, this period of time. And we, we find it mm. difficult to score and win games. But it's important that I maintain the, the faith and the message to the players because you know, I've been a player as well. And, and sometimes then you've seen that that doubt from the from the manager and the staff uh, and then it puts doubt inside your head as well so i've tried to constantly reinforce the message to the players that 10 games ago i had i had so much belief in the group and in the squad and i still got that today and it's important that they remember that as well that that say i've got faith in them and, and i'm here to not only challenge them uh, and improve them but also support them as well because um it, it's when you when you're out there and things aren't going right um and there's some negativity around i think it's important from my point of view that i'm there to support them through that as well how have they reacted then because this will obviously be a tricky spell for them too and i'm sure their their confidence might not be not be sky high just like you know yeah. not to bring up the, the the game at the start of the season with the game against yeah. barnsley and then you went on that unbelievable run it was like the yeah. I remember saying on the League One podcast how the players managed to, to just forget about that and go on that run of form was unbelievable. How have they reacted to this kind of run of form? Because it wasn't just a one-off game. It was kind of, it's yeah. been more gradual. Yeah, it has been gradual. I think from, from that first game of the season and when we played Barnsley, we've, we've done exactly the same process in terms of how we prepare for a game we then play the game and then how we review the game. We haven't changed from that at all and I think there has to be accountability both individually and collectively for your performance. I have to feed back to the players. I have to have honest conversations with them and I would rather look them in the eye and tell them the truth and then then be upset with it than tell them they're doing great when they're really Mm. not. I think they, they will come back to me in six months and say, if they're really honest with themselves, why didn't you tell me? And I told every single player right at the start of when I took over or when I recruited them that I was prepared to have those difficult conversations with them because they're honest conversations. And whichever role that me and my staff are at at the football club, we are fundamentally there to help the player, whether I'm the manager, I'm an SNC, I'm a physio, I'm the chef. It's all our roles within the football club is to get the best out of the player. Now, how I deliver that news is down to me and it has to be delivered in different ways to different personalities, to different age groups within within the football squad. But honesty is the best way to learn. Feedback mm. is the best way to learn. The best players take that information on board, they put it into practice and they generally don't repeat this, the same error. Now we've got um, a younger group absolutely this season but we've also got some really exciting young players as well. And it's important that at the other end of the spectrum, you've got some really good role models and some really good senior players. And we've got that as well. And when you combine the two, I've got faith that we we say we can come through this bad run we're currently on in terms of results. And we'll come out the other end and we'll look back and think, no, we, we, we stuck together through that period. We learned valuable lessons, both individually and collectively. Uh, and we'll look back on it and hopefully we'll smile and think, yeah, that, that was a, uh, that was the making of us again, just like that Barnsley game was. You know, mm-hmm. to, to lose your first game of the season 
um, 7-0 and, and I'm sure lots of people have reviewed that game and think it was almost an, an anomaly um, to lose your first game as a manager 7-0 and your first game as a captain and as a first game as a new group it was almost wow what was all that about but we looked at it we analysed it we learned from it we then went on a, on a really good run um, we, we haven't managed to respond in the same way in terms of the results over this last period of time but we're still looking and learning uh, and we, we will come through this period of time without a shadow of a doubt. What's the turnaround like? I suppose it's a bit of a double-edged sword because on one hand, if you lose a game, there's you know you do want to get back and play, get yeah. back out there and play again. But then on the other hand, as a, as a, as a, as a manager, you have significantly less time to prepare. Like you play it Saturday and then you play Mansfield then in the cup, then you play Burton Albion in the FA Cup. But it's yeah. like such a yeah. short, short days or, or, or time yeah. span between those games what's the I mean how difficult is that to cope with and also kind of like what's the, the, the process between those well, games if, like when you I, have a game I, every three days yeah if I'm saying to you Adam that we, we've played and I think it's either 8 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 midweek games for the last 10 weeks and we've obviously had an international break as well so if I yeah. said to you that, that we've probably had four sessions where the whole group have done the whole training session. Because if you've played on a Saturday, the session on the Monday is really light for the starters because they're fundamentally still recovering from, from Saturday's game. If you're then playing on a Tuesday night, you're doing exactly the same thing on a Thursday. If you're then training on a Friday, you're match day minus one and your physical exertion is probably capped at three or four K. Hmm. And that's the cycle we've been on. So, that's, we can't use that as an excuse. You have to make the most of that time on the grass and make the most of that distance, etc. while listening to the medical department and everyone else. And then you also have to use analysis. And, and that's what we have to use it as another learning tool. Um, but in terms of the whole group being on the grass, th- those, de- those days have been really difficult for us. And, and that almost becomes the, the price of success in the Carabao Cup. And we've also had a couple of games called off because we've now got three young international players, which then adds more midweek games as well. So we're we're learning. Um, You you have to find different ways to to train. It can't always be physically, can't always be on the grass. We we do a lot of analysis, both individually, uh, units and Uh, team-wise. And then it's important, as I say, that the players are then accountable, that they're we have a, a, an open room if anyone's got a, any any questions, any doubt about their role uh, and responsibilities with the team. Ask ask myself, ask the coaches. We, we say we're, we're fundamentally there to, to help each and every one of the players become better. I'm really interested in the analysis process and I, I love finding out different ways that coaches kind of go about doing their analysis sessions and yeah. some some have told me they just do 15-minute sessions, others have told me maybe they sprinkle it a little bit. I had a guy tell me once that because younger players are addicted to, to phones and PlayStation, he sends them through like yeah. on Snapchat and things like that would blew me away because I, I would have never thought that. What is the analysis process? Is it just is it a, a team meeting and then do you send maybe clips to the players? What kind of if I use what one game as an example, Adam, so if we're playing on a Saturday, uh, and we've just played on a Tuesday night, so Tuesday night is over mm-hmm. with, we'll then look at it from, from, from myself and the coaching staff and the two analysts we've got the football club. We'll then base our review of the, on that performance and we'll look at three or four things that we're looking at in terms of what was our game plan, what did we try and execute going to the game, what were the strengths of the opposition, did we nullify them, et cetera, et cetera. 
We'll then feed back that, that back to the players on a, on a Thursday morning, pre-training. So we'll review that Tuesday night's performance. And once that's done, that, that game is then parked. It's all about the next game. Our analysts will then send out um, packs to the players on their phones about the next opponent, individually, strengths and weaknesses, formation. And we will then, ourselves as, as staff and analysts, then look at the, our next opponents on the, on the Thursday afternoon. And th- th- those chats, so I've just left, left work before at, at half six. I was there at seven o'clock this morning. Um, and we then start that process all over again. And we have a, a meeting on a Friday morning and we preview the next opponents. We perform, we play the game, we review it, we feedback on the Monday morning. And that is the cycle that we go through. Are the players receptive to? I know maybe some more than others would be, yeah. but how 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 receptive are the players to maybe a lot of analysis, kind of feedback, yeah, well, or or some a bit more? I am conscious of the time and and the concentration levels mm-hmm. uh, within the meetings because you've got twenty four different personalities w- within that who might see one clip in a few different ways. I think what you get probably from the the younger generation is that they're now growing up with analysis. Um, maybe a few of our more senior players, it's not been part of their process uh, from a young age. Mm-hmm. So it's trying to think of of how do they all learn individually and collectively. And I said that might be in a, in a team environment. It might be in a smaller group. It might be individual. But I think what you do generally get when you have um, full team meetings, Adam, is that it's generally the same people who talk and yeah. and you 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 want more contributions from everyone, but not everyone feels comfortable. Hence, why sometimes you're then having um, individual meetings and one on one, and and that's when people feel more comfortable to talk and they open up a little bit. Um, but say it's it's generally the, the same people who talk, and you're almost having to prize information out of one or two because. Um, one, maybe they haven't got the confidence to say it or they're not sure how it's going to be judged. But as I've said to the players all along, everyone's got an opinion. When I'm asking you for your opinion, please voice it when I'm asking to you. Don't, don't walk out of the room and, and then start talking to someone and maybe not agreeing with what's being said in the room. I'm mm. giving you a platform to say something. I'm not always going to be right. The coaches aren't always going to be right. You might see something. You might have done something at a different club. Have you thought of this? And we're all we're all part of the same thing. We all want to develop. We all want ultimately want to try and win a game on a Saturday, and we're all part of that. Do you watch the games yourself for opposition analysis? I'm, I'm sure I know you have analysts as well, but I know some coaches prefer to leave it to their analysts. Some prefer to. I think actually the Freiburg manager. Uh, Christian Strike, I think his name is. He does it all himself, which blows me away. Even yeah. he's been, in, I think he's been in the job for eleven years or something. And he does it all himself, which which yeah. is just mind blowing in this day and age. But do you, do you do you watch the games yourself with your analysts? Do you yeah, do well, it alone? Maybe. No, listen, we've we've got two analysts, uh, Michael Johnson and Callum Brown, who do incredible work. As you say, uh, at the top level, there's probably there's so many analysts doing certain parts of the in and out possession set plays, whatever it is. But we've got two guys who've also got myself as manager uh, and John Schofield as assistant manager and David Dunn as first team coach. So uh and so and Carlo Nash as goalkeeping coach. So we all play a part in that. We we we've all got a role in terms of in and out possession and looking at mm. the, the the next opponent. And then ultimately, then the, the two analyst lads will will clip up those things that we've seen, uh, and we'll then put something together. 
and then we'll then feed back that back to the player. So, yeah, you, you, you're trying to, from my point of view, you're trying to manage your time. So it's not just time doing nothing. You've got to be productive with your time as well. And you've got to look at the, the real important and urgent things as well. So, you know, the, the staff we've got at the football club are, are really good at the, their jobs. Um, I've got 100% trust in those guys. And, and they said that we're, we're all giving it everything we've got. This podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024 and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use the service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash realEFL. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now... Back to the podcast. Away days are great, especially when your striker bags a last-minute winner. But there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I'd like to take you back for a moment just towards the start of your 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 well actually to your playing career and then the transition yeah. into being a coach what was that like because uh, like some people some people always tell me they they always knew they wanted to be a coach some people said they kind of it kind of just happened was yeah. being a coach always something you thought you'd go into I think Adam I've been a group and I wanted to be a footballer so so bad it's all I ever wanted to, wanted to do I wanted to become a footballer and, and and luckily I achieved that. I've got two things in my life, and I am the I am boring. I've got my family. I've got a wife and two daughters who I love so so much, and I've got football, and I, and I love football. I am I've been I've been lucky to be involved in it since I, I left school at sixteen, and, and I signed for Leeds, and I've been in and out of work, and I think probably in that whole period from being sixteen and I'm fifty now, I've probably been out of work for two years. So I love the game so much. I love playing, but when I came, I knew I was obviously coming to the end of my career in terms of age. Um, Nigel Atkins got the Scunthorpe job, um, and, and that was my my first step really into coaching. And I, I've got to be honest, I, I should have done it earlier. Um, I should have got myself prepared earlier than, than I did. And, and, I, and I say this now to to some of our later 20-year-old players and certainly the ones over 30 now, if you want to stay in the game, get yourself prepared. But an opportunity presented itself uh, and then I did all I could then to get qualified as quickly as I could do because I think that's important. Obviously, now it's it's a, a rule of the game in, in terms of having those opportunities and those positions. But I, I love football. I really do. I, I, I go home and, and I'm if I'm not doing anything with the family, I'm probably trying to sneak off and watch a game of football on the TV somewhere, much to my missus's um, disdain sometimes. But yeah, I, I, I love I love football, I really do. I'm, I'm so privileged to be involved in it. 
there's difficult days, obviously. I had difficult days as a player, I had difficult days as an assistant manager, and I'm currently having difficult days as a manager. But from my point of view, I'm desperate to learn, I'm desperate to get better. And I, I want to stay involved in this in this game for as long as I, as I possibly can do. Um, just so because I'm so passionate about it. I want to help our players. I, I was lucky that I played for 20 years, wasn't the best player, mm-hmm. absolutely. But I, I, I stuck at it uh, and kept trying to learn. And, and I'm trying now to pass that on to our players. And it's a, an incredible um Job, if that's one of you, what you want to call it, it's an incredible career. So I feel so fortunate that since I left school at sixteen and, and I'm fifty year old now, that I'm I'm still involved in it in this capacity, uh, and I hope it continues for a, a lot longer. It was a really good piece of advice you gave actually to people in the twenties. But the problem is, and the people in the twenties think they're going to be in the twenties forever. And I say that as someone in the twenties who thinks I will be twenty forever. You know, when someone says, "Oh, I don't even have my driver's uh, license," which is my family always go, "You need a driver's license," and I say, "Like, yeah. I'll get it one day. Don't worry about it." <laughs> and you know, I'll be thirty before you know. But yeah. that is a really good piece of advice. So I, I think I think you're right. Like I think Tony Pulis did his at like twenty or twenty one. He was one of the youngest in the yeah. in the country at the time, which is fascinating so really yeah. the, the earlier the better you get them and when you're playing it's yeah. probably the best time for you to do it it's, it's totally different Adam as well you know, I, I had this conversation with one of our players of the day and he, he was asking about coaching and I think mm. as a player you think you know the game but until you go into coaching and then doing the coaching courses it's it's nothing like playing football and I think it gives you a different perspective and I, I also think that the game is, is changing now so quickly and evolving so mm-hmm. quickly in terms of the, the, the coaching at the top level and, and the play at the top level. It's almost a different sport at times because the, the, the ability of, of the players and, and the, the managers and the coaches is, is, is incredible, mm-hmm. I think. From from when I was playing, obviously it was a lot of four four two straight line football, and 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 thankfully that the game is evolving so rapidly now, and it and it's an exciting time to be in it. And you did coach at the the highest level as well. Obviously, you coached twice in the Premier League, I believe, at Reading and, and then Southampton. I think yeah. both under Nigel Adkins. What was what was he like to to work with? Because going off interviews I listened to of Nigel Adkins, he was really fond of you as a coach, and he thought you would yeah. always make a great manager. He said that I think when you were a whole, he said I think he turned down jobs, recommended you. He said they're not right for me, but give it to Andy. Yeah, um, I'm probably the person I am now, Adam, because of Nigel and, and the influences mm. had me on a, on a on a personal level he's made me a more rounded person he's made me look at myself and analyze myself and look at where i need where i can get better and where i've needed to get better so i i owe him so much um <coughs> excuse me that the, the time at southampton w- w- was just a, a, an incredible time professionally you know to to go there and probably i'd only been coaching um for probably one season for the initial stages, I was still playing uh, and I finished Mm -hmm. playing and and my final game was the the 2009 playoff league one final. That was my last ever game at Wembley. Uh, So we we got promoted to the championship and and I retired after that game. So I I had one season really of just concentrating on coaching, what was going through my qualifications, et cetera. Um, Because of, because Nigel had done such a good, good job at Scunthorpe, I think it was only a matter of time then before he, he got a, a bigger and better opportunity. Uh, and obviously sat, that app appeared at Southampton. So um, I, I was fortunate that he wanted me to go down there with him. 
Um, and, and from for a professional point of view, it was just a, an incredible time to go from, I think we were fourth bottom of League One when, when we went to the Southampton mm-hmm. and to leave the, leave the club, um, I think 16th in the Premier League, just over two years later was just say was it is an incredible time, um, and I look at myself then and, and the coach I am now, and, and I, I was nowhere near then t- to where I'm at now. Um, you, you, so you learn on the job, but I had a, a great influence in Nigel. I, I worked with Dean Wilkins, who was the first team coach at the time, and so many of the things I'm doing and trying to do now, uh, I, I picked up from Dean in terms of one of his big things was it's, it's about detail. You know, the higher up you go, it, it's all about small details and, and making making a difference. So, so I've I've been I've been fortunate to work with some incredible people who I've wanted to learn from uh, and I wanted to be influenced by. And I say both Nigel and Dean were great influences for me at Southampton. And hopefully now I know I'm passing on some of my knowledge and wisdom and mm-hmm. the things I've learned on to, to other people now. Well, it's actually amazing because when Southampton were promoted that season, they lasted 10 years in the Premier League. I think it was 11 yeah. years, actually, in yeah. the Premier League. And I know ultimately they went down in the end, but 11 years from a team that were in, was it League One at the time and the Championship and then Premier League and they lasted 11 years. It's like it, they were a far more stable club then for that yeah. period of time. Okay, towards the end, maybe the, the recruiting wasn't great, but it's still it still showed that you didn't go up and come straight back down. The club solidified for a long, long time. And now they're, again, they're doing reasonably well in the Championship. Russell Martin has them playing great football and hopefully Brilliant. they go back up. But yeah. I, if, if I'm not mistaken, your first... Uh, head coach job then was with Northern Ireland's under twenty yeah. ones. Is that correct? Yeah, um, we myself and Nigel left Hull. Um, I think in twenty nineteen, and I'd my previous time out of work, I'd, I'd been assistant manager to Ian Barraclough, who I who I'd played with at Scunthorpe. So Ian was the under twenty one manager in Northern Ireland. So mm. I was doing that when I was out of a full time job, and then when I went to Hull, Hull wouldn't let me carry on doing that, so I had to finish. So then, when then we left, we left Hull, uh, and Ian said, will, "Will you come back and help me?" So, so I did, and then Ian got the the senior job with with Northern Ireland, so that the position became became open, and it was something I was ready for. I, I felt prepared and ready to become a manager, but you also get almost pigeonholed as as an assistant. Um, mm. you know, I wasn't fresh out of playing, and I'm so glad that the opportunity didn't arise when I was fresh out of playing because. I wouldn't have been prepared. I feel totally prepared for it now, or as prepared as you as you can be. Um, so that that was a, an opportunity to almost put into practice what you think is important, both on and off the pitch, um, with, with with the Northern Ireland under twenty one lads. And I think if that process would have been different from the IFA, I would have been the Northern Ireland under twenty one manager. But we're going through COVID, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that didn't pan out as quickly as I wanted it to. Uh, and then the opportunity then to, came to, to work at Port Vale. Uh, and I had a decision to make then. Do, do, I, do I leave the insecurity of the, the Northern Ireland under 21 job for a, a full-time job back in, in club football? Mm. Uh, and that's what I decided to do. And having spoken to, to Carol Shanahan, who's the, the Port Vale owner, um, she, she convinced me that she was trying to do something in a different way. And I think when you've been in football as long as I have, you almost think, yeah, well, I've heard a lot of things before and they don't always come to fruition. But what I can hand on heart say is that everything that Carol uh, and Kevin, her husband, said to me on that first phone call I've had, they've stuck to it. Our football club is based on people. 
and developing people and giving people an opportunity to, to grow. Uh, and the, the standards and values of the football club come from top to bottom. And anyone who works within our football club is, is supported immensely. And none, none more so than myself at this current time. I say we, a few weeks ago, we, we, we were winning most games. We've now gone through a period where we, we, we can't score a goal. We, we can't win a game. But the support from within within our football club, from, from Carol and Kevin and from Dave Flickcroft, the director of football, uh, has been brilliant. And it's been, it's been great for me to know that, say, the people above me have got massive faith in me and massive support for me. They understand where the football club is currently and where it wants to get to. Now we're, we're competing against some incredibly big teams in League One um, with all the things that those things mm. that, that that club gets, you know, the budget, the fact, whatever it is, et cetera, et cetera. And we are trying to compete. And that was one of my big things in pre-season that we wanted to be competitive in every single game. And I think we have been. Saturday was, was our worst performance of the season, both with and without the ball uh, against Cheltenham. But I think even though we've not been winning games, we've, we've played a lot of the, the top clubs already. And we're, we're making progress. And, and so that, that comes from the, from the top. And yeah, I, I'm really thankful to be working in a football club where the message which comes out of the owner's mouth is being adhered to and has been stuck to. You said there a moment ago that, you know, the, the, the owners know where they want to be or where they, they want the football club to go. Where yeah. is that? What are the ambitions for Port Vale in the in the in the, the long term? Well, I think the football club previously has has been in the championship. Mm-hmm. Port Vale would like to go back to the championship, just like every club who's in League One and League Two, they would like to get to the championship. There's a there's a way of how we're going to have to get there. Now we're never going to be able to have the we're never going to have the biggest budget. We haven't got the, the biggest ground in League One and we haven't got the most support in League One. So we have to do things in a different way. And that's been part of the, the process in terms of us looking at our playing model, how we recruit, how we give the opportunity to our academy players. Um, and that's how we think we can get there. Now, unless there's an anomaly, you're not going to get there in one season. You have to take more step, small steps. You have to build. You have to in, improve the infrastructure of the football club. That requires patience. And, and some, unfortunately, patience sometimes in football is, is not the, the commodity you get. But I know that that's what we will try and do. We've got an academy now which is not only developing players. We, we've sold two players this season to, to Premier League clubs. Who are, I think you know, both young players were under 14 and under 15. We've we've had James Plant, who plays, who's in our 18 every single game, a, a young player who'd, who'd not played until I, I took over last season. So we, we've given out debuts this season in the, in, the, in the previous rounds of the Carabao Cup and in the EFL Trophy. Excuse me, and the football club is now producing real good young men and and real good young players. And again, that is part of the process of the football club going forward. And it's up to me then to to give those players an opportunity because if we can show that we've got good young players and I'm giving them the opportunity, that that path isn't always smooth, unfortunately, and there's going to be mm. inconsistencies in their performance. But if they can believe in me as well, that I'm going to trust them to give them an opportunity. That has to be part of the business model of the football club as well because we are a business. We have to generate funds. And if we're going to grow on and off the pitch, saleability of players is is, is one of the routes we have to go down. Yeah. I mean, 
Peterborough United's chairman Darren McAnthony talks about that a lot as well because they they sell they they've sold a number of players in the summer and 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 it's a way to bring in funds because ultimately right. as you said it is a business and when a yeah. when you have a great young player and a a club for who are going who are in the championship pushing for promotion or in the Premier League come in for your player it's yeah. it's hard to tell that player sorry we need you. Because Correct. they also have their ambitions and their goals that they want to. I think crack that also get. comes down to Adam as well in terms of the style as well. Because if mm. you're wanting to sell players, you you look at the the style fundamentally in the in the top two divisions, and it's more possession based football. So we have to almost showcase our players that they're capable of doing that, or they've got the potential to to be capable of doing that in in the two leagues above. So that's what we're going to try and do. Teams that are successful all over the world, really, at the moment, they well, apart from apart from a certain few clubs who up the are up the uh, the upper ends of the the how would I say the the spending spectrum, who seem to waste their cash. For most clubs, the the recruitment process will have to be spot on. Yeah, what is like the how difficult for one is is formulating a recruitment process to to kind of. To, to, to go alongside the playing style and the players you have at the club, the personnel, and especially when you would have limited funds compared to a side competing in the Premier League. Yeah. What is the recruitment process well, like? It, and, it's you know. aligned, Adam, because th- that was what I say. One of the things in terms of me getting the job as well, I, I, I put a playing philosophy together. And then once you've done that, that's then the basis of the plan going forward. You then have to recruit players to fit into that style. Mm-hmm. So there's no point in me saying oh, we're going to play a possession-based style and then recruit 20 players who are just going to kick the ball length of the pitch and 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 play, in my opinion, hoping hoping football. You might get some results short-term, but the, the playing style and the recruitment have to be aligned. Now, we can't pay the best wages in the league, but what we can do is have a really good recruitment process, a really good recruitment team led by Dave Flickcroft, and use the tools we've got to identify players who are maybe higher up in terms of the academies, so that the Premier League clubs and the Championship clubs, can we cherry-pick their players and build up a really good relationship with their clubs uh, and then give their players a platform, look after them off the pitch, trust them on the pitch, help them grow and develop, whilst also then looking at the, the our own league and League Two and, and the conference and looking at clubs abroad and can we try and find a different way because of the size of some of the clubs in our league, they can go and blow you out the water in terms of a, mm-hmm. a financial offer and we can't compete with that. So we have to find a different way and we and we have to sell ourselves in a different way. Yeah, I mean, like you have in League One at the moment, you have Derby, Bolton and Portsmouth, all of which were in the Premier League together in 2007, 2008 season, which yeah. is wild. And yeah, yeah, I mean, Portsmouth won the FA Cup, I think, that season too. Yeah, they do 2008, they won the FA Cup, which is just yeah. like the, the the size of them clubs and, you know, yeah. is, 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 is obviously going to be hard to compete against. Um, yeah. Just ahead of then of the, I suppose, the, the, the January window, without giving away names, what kind of areas do you think you need to improve in the squad to, you know, crack on for the second half of the season? Well, listen, we're, we're always looking to improve it in every single position because if something appears which you've prepared for or sometimes not prepared for and an opportunity arises, you have to think, does that player fit in with what we're trying to do, first and foremost? 
Now, obviously, as we're going through the first half of the season, players' contract situation becomes different. Some of our players will be entering the last year of the contract. Are they doing well enough to stay at the football club? If not, is it time to move them on? You're already starting that recruitment process maybe six, 12 months earlier. We've got four um, players on loan from Premier League clubs. We have to be prepared that they may well be recalled. So there's a, there's a lot of work going off because you know, one window closes in summer and the next one doesn't reopen until January. But that process in between is constantly going. And so we're trying to look, um, have contact with, with, with everyone and around football uh, and, we're, and we're looking for that, that little gem that no one's quite found as yet. The transfer window must be hectic just for a coach. I, I, I actually, I, I know several managers, not not at that level, but maybe League of Ireland. I'll just say yeah. that hate the transfer window, <laughs> and I feel like maybe it's a universal thing because I reckon it's yeah. it's so hectic. What's yeah. it like? Well, it, it was also for me, uh, Adam. I, I got appointed on the twelfth of May. Um, so we just finished obviously our season. I finished, I think, on the previous Sunday. We played Plymouth. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been appointed uh, as manager. But the transfer window, I don't think, opens until July. Mm. But I, I was away um, in, in Mallorca. And I was in that whole time then before we came back for pre-season, which I think was middle to end of June, doing Zooms, doing phone calls, doing one-on-ones, meeting players. It is constant. And you almost... You, you're trying to sell something. But because it was my first job and you're almost selling something without evidence without facts in terms of the style of play etc so you you, you're trying to build up a relationship with a player on zoom and his agent and his Mm. club and his parents maybe Uh, and i i i've i haven't got enough um hands or feet to count them the amount of zooms that you did now did we get some of them players yeah we did did we lose out on some for, for different reasons yeah of course we did but it is a hectic period. Um, I think when it, when it's still open, when the when the games start, it, it almost becomes madness. I think mm-hmm. if we, if I just look at the, the summer window, so the summer window closed on the Friday night at eleven o'clock. We had a game on the next day, and I had one player leave who was in the squad to drive to his other club, and that, that that's that's wow. what I, no, you, you, that's the that's the situation, and you, and you well, would have already prepared for him to be in we the squad. For the next, we were prepared for Saturday's wow. game, uh, and and he 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 left and went to sign for someone else, and that that's that's why you've got to show some flexibility. So yeah, I, I don't understand why the window is still open when the season starts. No one can convince me of that. I well, they did close it for like one season, I yeah, think, didn't they? I, and I then it reopened. I don't. The, the Premier League clubs threw their dummy out of the pram again because yeah. they wanted to close. They voted to close it, yeah. and then they threw their yeah. dummies out of the pram because yeah. they were like, "Well, this we need to sign players," and then it reopened. Yeah. yeah, and I think obviously all around, obviously it doesn't affect us in League One, but different countries have different transfer windows. Now yeah. I can't understand why they, they they should surely all close at the same time because yeah. Saudi Arabia close... closed like mid September. Yeah. It was wild. and because of Saudi Arabia now and the the financial. Packages that, that those that you get mm-hmm. offered over there, you, you you put your squad together in Europe or in the UK, but almost still not guaranteed that your players are going to still going to be with you because you no, know, we, we saw in the summer about the offers for Mo Salah. No, you get into mm-hmm. those incredible amounts of money, and yes, you got to agree to it as a club, obviously, and and the player has to agree to move, but 
for me, it's not currently aligned as good, as good as it should be. Yeah. And the last question I want to ask you, Andy, before we wrap up is, where do you want to take this Port Vale side? What are your ambitions? I know we spoke about the board's ambitions, but yeah. obviously the, the board can't get rid of themselves. You as a yeah. coach and in general coaches, the, the lifespan of a coach is, is much much shorter than most careers, than any career really. Yeah. Where do you want to take Port Vale over the next season or two? Well, I think when I got the job, Adam, you know, at 50-year-old to be a first-time manager, as I said to you, I feel... I felt as prepared as I possibly could be to, to go into mm. the job with with a a way and a style of play which I want I want to put into practice. You need time. I, I look at people like you know you, you mentioned Russell Martin. I, I look at what he's trying to do with the teams he's managed previously. That you you need to be given time. You can't always win. You now that the clubs he's managed previously, he won't have had the best budget in it those respective leagues. But people have seen what he's trying to do. And I think if you have a plan and you have a way and that's identifiable, you can't guarantee winning, unfortunately. There's, there's a lot of variables um, involved in trying to win a game of football. But I believe in, in, in a consistent message and a consistent way of trying to play. Uh, I say I can't guarantee wins, but I will be doing everything I possibly can to help this football club grow. And I want to be the, the best I can be. So I, I'm, I've become a manager at... Uh, quite a late age in terms of being 50 year old already. Um, I'm aware of first-time manager statistics. I'd be naive not to do that. But I say for, for my love and the knowledge of football that I've, I've, I've grown and, and developed, who knows? I think it's, it's to put a ceiling on where you want to get to is almost being, um, you squash your own ambition. So it's, I, I want to be the best I can be. I'm learning on this job every single day. There's things this season that, that I've got wrong 100% and there's things I've got right. But as, as long as I'm I'm trying to learn from that, um, whether that's on or off the pitch, so I, I don't want to become the, the best I can be. Andy, thank you so, so much for giving me your time. I actually cannot believe the, the, the 50. I, I said between 40 and 50, but I feel like I'm yeah. going towards the end of near the 50 mark. But I thank you so much for your time. It, it flew in and I just want to say your hotel room is far better than my uh, current bedroom. <laughs> so um, I'm quite jealous, actually. But thank you so much for your time. No, I appreciate you giving the opportunity to speak, Adam. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. To everyone listening at home, make sure to drop us a five-star rating if you enjoy the podcast. It means the world to us. And make sure to tune in on Sunday as we dissect all the weekend's FA Cup results for your wonderful ears. And there are some really, really tasty games in the offing. Thank you all for listening and goodbye for now. the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow you've got your McNugget share box on the go and you know what your mates already got booked for double dipping but then late on you steal in grab the last nugget and snatch all three points perfect why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app are you in at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.